Welcome to Unlock Financial Independence, the number one financial independence podcast for physical therapists. I am your host, Matt McClanahan. All right. Welcome back, my financially savvy physios. I am your host, Matt McClanahan, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Unlock FI, where I help physical therapists just like you unlock the path to financial freedom while working as physical therapists. So if you're new to the channel, welcome. And for the new and oldest listeners alike, make sure you join and engage in the Facebook group, Financial Independence for Physical Therapists, uh, because that is going to be the best place that people just like you and me can go together to ask questions, get advice, and uh, be around other people who are just like us on this path to financial independence. Lastly, I want to say subscribe to the newsletter, which will be linked in the show notes here for the monthly tips on things like travel hacking, the state of student loans, listener wins, and so much more. So super excited to actually get started with the newsletter. Uh, as I mentioned on the Instagram page a couple days ago, the written word is not my preferred form of communication. That's why I do this more spoken word here. Um, but I'm going to give it a go. We'll see how things uh, uh, pan out with that. I really do think that it will um, be something that I eventually enjoy doing. Um, it's just I don't really write often. So it might be a new uh, new efforts that I might have to put into something. So looking forward to that. But what you're all here for is today's show, which is the pillars of FI, the pillars of financial independence. And so what I'm going to go over is what the pillars of financial independence are as I currently see them. So there's no like one source out there where this is what the pillars of financial independence are. Um, this is just what I currently think are necessary or fundamental in order to reach financial independence, in my opinion, of course. So let's get started. Okay. We're going to go over several. Um, I'm going to go over what those are right now, and then we'll dive into each one. Okay. So we're going to be talking about savings rate, index fund investing, only spend what you can pay off, travel rewards hacking, minimizing your housing costs, buy a car that does its job, and potentially side hustles. More on that because um, I think that side hustle, and I, I even hesitate to use that word, gets a little bit of a bad rap. And with the purpose of this podcast, I want you to enjoy the lives you live as a physical therapist. And if that means no side hustle, that's totally fine. All right, back to savings rate. Okay, so what we're looking for with savings rate is one thing you could focus on here is Focus on the percentage of your income that you save per year instead of how much you save. So for example, say we have someone, just person A, who makes only $40,000 per year, but they save $10,000 per year. That's 25% of their income. But say you have someone making $100,000 a year and also saving $10,000 per year, that's 10% of their income. So both people are saving the same amount, but the higher per the higher percent of your income, that is the more impressive one to me, right? Because that tells me two things. The, the person who is making 40,000 a year and still able to save 10,000 is probably living a lifestyle that is below their means. 
Now that could mean a lot of things that it could mean below their means because they absolutely have to, or also go broke. Um, or that could also mean that they don't just need much and that's the life they value, right? Um, the person making a hundred thousand dollars a year and saving only 10,000, that could mean a lot of things too. Don't get me wrong. Maybe they're the sole earner for their family. Plus they're taking care of their parents. You never really know, but in generalities here, assuming that both of these people are, uh, living lives where there's not they're not a, the financial resource for multiple people around them my assumption is that the person making $100,000 per year and only saving 10,000 is likely spending in excess in other domains of their life whether that is like their 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 housing renting or purchasing uh potentially financing vehicles or maybe they're aggressively paying down student loans you never really know but my assumption is if they have a hundred thousand only saving 10 K they're letting money bleed out somewhere and they probably are living an inflated lifestyle. Now, if that's what they desire, fantastic. But as long as they know what that means for their financial life, that's what this podcast is all about. So, uh, that if they want to work until they're 65, because they're only able to save $10,000 per year and their lifestyle is $90,000 per year, they're going to be working quite a while, right? So savings rate. Uh, don't look at how much you save, but look at it in regards to how much you save in regards to your uh, total money that you make per year, okay? All right. Briefly here, we're going to talk about index fund investing. So one, one thing that you should be focusing on or at least look into is something called an index fund. Now, I'm not going to dive too deep into that here because actually the next episode, we're going to talk more about index funds, investments, accounts, things like that. But uh, you want to tr potentially, for most people, I would say, invest in low-cost index fund funds. So examples of that is going to be like with Vanguard. Their one that they have is called the VTSAX. So uh, that VTSAX, that is a, a stock ticker. So if you Google any type of stock stock ticker or just type in VTSAX, it'll show up that specific fund, okay? Uh, Fidelity has one, F uh, FSKAX. Charles Schwab has one, SWPPX. Um, and I, I don't have any loyalty to any of these. You should do your own research and look into which one fits you best. There are others. There are things called ETFs, which we'll talk about more in next episode that do very similar things, but they're kind of different. Uh, so you can look at index funds and ETFs, decide which ones are best, most right for you. But really these funds, uh, the difference or the, the thing that's important about index funds specifically is that they have low expense ratios. So an expense ratio is what how much they basically take off of how much uh your that the money you have in there, okay? So uh, if there's an expense ratio of 0.06%, that's very low and that's a, I believe industry average for uh index funds. So compare that to an actively managed fund. So someone's either investing for you uh, or it's not an index fund, but they're individually picking different stocks. And then when you purchase that, it's uh, it's you're investing in that uh, managed fund, okay? The average, I believe, 
um, expense ratio for those somewhere around 0.5. Okay. So index funds 0 0.06, uh, managed funds 0 0.05. So seems so small, like Matt, what the hell, like your pension pennies here, what's the difference? The difference really does matter, especially the more and more money that you make over time and that you invest. Okay. So if, for example, if you have $1 million invested and all of that's in index funds, you will only pay $600 in fees. 1 million times 0.06% is $600. If you have that same 1 million in a managed fund, fund that is at 0.5%, that's 1 million times 0.05%. That gets you $5,000 in fees. So the difference here is $5,000 for a managed fund or $600 for an index fund. You might be saying, Matt, if I have a, if I have a million in the bank, what, uh, what is $4,400? Uh, what does that matter to me? I would say in this example, maybe it doesn't matter at that point. But like I said, that 0.5% is actually an average. And if you're not paying attention to those expense ratios, you may be in a fund that's 1%, 1.5%, even higher, right? Whereas I know with uh, expense ratios on some index funds, I've seen one on Fidelity where it's a newer fund. I don't know which market it tracks with the index, but it's 0% expenses. So I'm not sure why they offer that. Do your own research, look into it. But some index funds can be as low as 0%, right? So think about that. Uh, I'm gonna, I wanted to keep this kind of simple for now because I do plan on talking about this in the next episode. Um, but I believe they are key to a simple path to financial independence. So if you want to set your finances, forget it, and then just keep plugging money into it. And then in 10 years, look at where you're at. You're going to be very happy with index funds, okay? So next one. Only spend what you can pay off. So I will say that a caveat here is it might be if you're an entrepreneur and you're taking short-term debt for long-term investments, right? So for example, um, myself, as an example, I opened a chasing credit card. Uh, I think I had like a $3,500 limit on it. Um, and so I maxed that card out, but it was 0% interest for a year. Uh, because my my goal was that I would have enough money after seeing clients to pay that off within the one year, right? So I spent on a credit card and I took on what one might call bad debt in my business in order to uh, build a the business that would eventually make money and pay that credit card off, right? Or taking out a loan to start a business that you're confident in, things like that. Those may not be um, bad debts that you shouldn't be spending on or that you should be spending on and you're okay with. Um, what I mean by only spend what you can pay off is that if you are putting $2,000 on a credit card each month and only paying off $1,800 each month, you're getting $200 behind every single month. And at the end of the year, that's $2,400 already, right? And those interest, credit card interest fees, they start tacking on, they start adding up. Uh, so you really want to make sure you only spend what you can pay off. Now, this doesn't mean to only use a debit card because I think you're leaving money on the table or points on the table. If you're not using credit card, uh, credit cards that get you points back. So, um, 
What it does mean though, is you should be monitoring your credit card or setting it to auto pay where each month it just pays off the sum in full. But I personally like to look at mine, sometimes even paid ahead of time, uh, especially if the balance is getting too large um, because you only want it a certain percentage of the total credit balance that you have open, but that's neither here or there. But one of the main things that you should be doing and make sure you're not getting yourself in credit card debt, only spend what you can pay off monthly. Okay. So we're physical therapists. We shouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck, uh, as you've been working longer and longer. Sure. If you had debts, uh, such as credit card debt, when you were getting through school and you're paying those off and you feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's totally normal. But if you only have student loans and you're making, uh, a good income and your housing's relatively, uh, within your budget, you should not be living paycheck to paycheck as a physical therapist. Okay. Be getting, you should be getting ahead, uh, monthly on everything. You shouldn't be, uh, you should be able to pay off what you put on your credit cards. Okay. All right. So travel reward hacking. So key, so key. I, I can't, I can't explain how important this is. So after you get a paycheck, that's after tax money, right? If you open a credit card, let's say the minimum spend is like $3,000 in three months. And then they're going to give you, let's say a hundred thousand points. Those points can be utilized to purchase airline tickets. They can be used to purchase hotels. Sometimes you can purchase Airbnbs. You can get rental cars on it. So even though you've already paid taxes on the money, you're going to spend on that credit card to get that minimum purchase for these, these credit card bonuses. You're, earning points, which is a way of getting tax-free income because you're going to use those points on purchases for things um, uh, such as airlines, hotels, things that I've already mentioned. So this is absolutely huge for people like you and me who probably don't have too much PTO. And uh, if you don't live close to where your family's at, like myself, Thanksgiving and Christmas, most of the time I'm flying and I haven't paid for a flight outside, like with cash in three years, I think at this point. So travel rewards hacking is absolutely critical. And if you want to know more about that, there is a podcast episode on that, particularly about getting the Southwest uh, companion pass, which I still think is the best that absolute best kept travel rewards hack that you can do, especially if you have a significant other that's going to be traveling with you. Totally changes the game. Two tickets for the two flight tickets for the price of one. Doesn't really matter what you think about Southwest. Put all that aside. I've really only ever had one issue with them. It was during the meltdown. So yes, travel rewards hacking. Look into it. Get on it. It's going to absolutely change uh, your financial independence journey. Okay. So these next two ones are potentially uh, some of the largest, the, the biggest deal, okay? So that's minimize your housing costs and buy a car that does its job, okay? The reason I say they're two of the largest is because they are most, if not potentially sometimes over 50% of what uh, people's expenses are. Definitely housing, people hear about that, you know, 33% number, whatever it is now, uh, but you want to keep that low. So minimize your housing costs. Now, what this does not mean 
does not mean I want you to live in a shanty, okay? It doesn't mean you need to live in the worst part of the city and then be commuting to work at, to, in order to make ends meet, right? You should you should like where you live, but also be real with yourself about what you can afford, okay? What you can afford and what you feel you deserve may be two different circumstances as of right now, especially after working so hard through PT school and you're like, oh, well, I can afford, I, I deserve to live in that luxury apartment. I mean, it's kind of like where we're at. It's a little bit at the top end of my, of our budget here. So I would love to reduce my housing costs personally, right? Um, but that's the plan. So we, we will be reducing housing costs hopefully in the future, uh, maybe negotiating rent down or whatever it may be. But we want to try to minimize your housing cost, okay? So consider house hacking. Uh, that could mean... Uh, potentially moving back in with your parents, depending on your relationship with them. Uh, even if that's just for one year after PT school, while you just save like a mad person trying to uh, scrounge up as much money as you can, that then you can start investing or put a down payment on a house or whatever it may be. Um, maybe it's uh, moving in with your your significant other uh, and into a relatively affordable one bedroom, right? Maybe it's... Um, living, renting out a house with you and some other friends that you're aware of needing, needing housing options. Right. Um, I think sometimes as medical professionals, we may see that, or we may feel that we're, because we're a medical professional, we have a doctor, we shouldn't have to, uh, house with other people. Some people may feel that way and you're entitled to feel that way, but I don't think just because you have a certain degree you are above um, above having options in order to um, increase your financial independence, right? So I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just mentioning some different options out there, okay? So uh, house hacking, this is a lot of, this means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So what this could mean is purchasing a home that's what you need at the time in your life, but not above your means, right? So if you really want to own a house, Purchase something that is right for right now, but not above your means. Because more often than not, your first home purchase is not going to be your forever home, okay? You also should weigh the pros and the cons of purchasing, and maybe you should continue to rent. And I have a resource for this. So there's a a, a company called Bigger Pockets. They have a podcast. They have a website. Um, I love their podcast. And it's all about real estate. So people who are interested in becoming uh, more real estate investors. Um, but that being said, I take I get a lot to take away from their podcast without really wanting to do that myself at all. So definitely check it out. Every Friday, they have a money story, which is really good. So uh, what they have, what Bigger Pockets offers is they have several different books on their website, all about real estate and things like that. They have a book called First Time Homebuyer's Book. In that book, whenever you purchase it, you can get a digital download, physical copy. I do have a physical copy myself. There is an Excel document where you can plot out, put in different factors, and it'll tell you when uh, a house that maybe you're looking at purchasing is worth it to purchase or if it would be more appropriate to continue to rent given what rent costs at that time, things like that. So absolutely incredibly important to look at those things because if you, for example, some scenarios, if you purchase a house and then move in three years, 
using this calculator, you can see you might be taking a huge L on that. You might be, you might lose out uh, or be cost you several tens of thousand dollars at times because closing costs and all these other fees. So it is purchasing a home is one of the biggest decisions that you can make. Um, and it really does tie you down. So it shouldn't be something that you do lightly because if you're just like, well, I have my license now, I guess now it's time to, to purchase a house and then you just purchase and you, you cut that ribbon and you thank the person that helped you find the house. And then you live there a year and you're like, oh shit, now I'm tied down to this thing. Can't move jobs. Right. Cause then my commute goes up to an hour. There's a lot of pros and cons of purchasing. All I do is encourage you to look into it before you make that huge decision. Probably one of the biggest decisions you can make because you want to minimize your housing costs and understand all the things that go into uh, purchasing versus renting. Okay. Do what you think is best for you and your, your situation, but you want to try to minimize that housing costs. Okay. One more thing to go along with that. If you end up do purchasing a house and it's a multi multi-bedroom house, you can always rent out to a friend. You could rent out to a medical traveler. At that point, there are tax advantages to those things uh, where you can uh, write off some things and have uh, basically reduce your income tax write-offs. So definitely something to consider. It, that's a way you can house hack is purchase a whole house, rent out the second bedroom where they're paying a significant portion of maybe what your your rent is that month. And then you pay very a, sm a much smaller portion because you are taking that burden on of having that that house and that loan. Um, but definitely something to look more into before like making all those big decisions. Okay. All right. Housing might be the biggest one, but the second biggest one is buy a car that does its job. Okay. Don't buy a car where you're going to have a 500, multiple hundreds of dollar uh, rent payment per month on it. It's not rent, but you know what I mean? Uh, plus you got to think about car insurance on that. There's no reason unless you absolutely love cars, but if you're on this path to financial independence, your car has to do mostly two jobs, get you to and from work, get you to and from uh, other locations such as grocery stores and fun events with your friends, right? So you should not be putting all this money into a car that really is just a glorified uh, cab for yourself, right? Um, if you may have messed up, made one of those purchases recently, you can always go sell and uh, take that extra money, invest it, but buy a car that does its job, is going to last you a while, is reliable, buy it for function, not status. Okay? Awesome. And then the last one, we're going to be talking about side hustles. Okay? So on this, I did put optional. Reason I put optional is because I do think that the path of financial independence is very individual, uh, just like finances are all individual. And not everyone wants to work 30 or 40 hours at one job and then go start a podcast or go start a side cash business in a gym or start doing all these hustles. They just want to work a job, know that they're investing for their future and that they'll be able to retire early and then live a happy life. They just want to be happy physical therapists. And I totally get that. And if you're one of those, that's fantastic. And you need not listen any any to the to this optional advice. But for those of you who may want to accelerate your earning potential uh, and get to your goal faster, 
Um, or maybe you don't love your work situation and there's no jobs around the area that you love. Maybe a side hustle is the right route for you. And so, uh, what, what this doesn't exactly mean is picking up a second job or being your own boss as a PT, um, side hustles, this, this could be having, like I said, already a home and having an extra bedroom. And now you're a landlord. That's a, that's a side hustle, right? Uh, you, you can take taking something that you enjoy doing and creating content around that uh, could be something you enjoy doing. Maybe you freaking, I don't know, love knitting, right? And you want to start an Etsy shop where you sell stuff knitting and that's what you do in your free time. Fantastic. But be mindful of that because some people take a hobby, they create a job around it. And now this, what used to be a fun hobby is a job and no longer fun to them. <laughs> so be very mindful that if you go down that route, know when to back away from when the money's not worth it. And when this thing that you used to love and had fun doing, it's not really serving that anymore. Okay. So side hun side hustles and entrepreneurship in general can unlock a lot of benefits that help propel you towards financial independence. Uh, things such as tax advantage accounts, different write-offs, uh, et cetera. So consider side hustles on your path to financial independence if it's right for you and if it's what you want, okay? Because this is all personal finance, okay? Personal first, okay? So those are the pillars of FI as I currently see it. But I want to know from you, what did I miss? So if you're listening on Spotify, uh, I'm going to try out this like cool new feature they have where I can ask you guys a question uh, to get feedback. Uh, the, the feature is where I can ask a question or poll to the listeners. So um, I don't know where that pops up, but be on the lookout for it. Uh, answer the question below of what pillars do you think I missed? What do you think I should add? What do you disagree with? Okay. Additionally, join the Facebook group, Financial Independence for Physical Therapists group. Sign up for the newsletter through the link in the show notes down below or by going through my Instagram link, the link tree on there. That is the Unlock FI Rehab Instagram. Sign up through the to the newsletter through there. But until next time, folks, peace.